Hello there and welcome to episode 19 of Nothing Else Matters, the music podcast that's setting out to try and establish what we think are the 100 greatest albums ever made. To do that, we are first of all reviewing the latest Rolling Stone Top 100 album list that they did in 2020 and we're voting those in or out as we see fit. We've reviewed 90 so far and we have voted 59 of those in, which is as it isn't particularly valid, uh, which is 66%. And um, we've obviously got another five to review tonight. I never thought I'd say this, but we're actually, we're now in the top 10 of this list. It's taken a while, guys, right? Um, so uh, we've got top oh, 10, wow. five, absolutely, Lisa, the whole of the year. Um, we've got another five to review tonight. So with us to do that, uh, we have our friends, um, Lisa Semple. Hi, Lisa, how are we doing? Hello, I'm good, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How's your throat? I'm going to get there, I think. Okay, I have medicinal uh, glass of wine. And some purple quality sweet, yeah? Maybe. Uh, we have from Deepest Darkest, Denny, um, John Welsh. Good evening, John. Hello, Brian. Good evening. How are we, sir? Very, very well. Good man. Thanks for coming on. And uh, after the success of Carl and Binney returning as a guest on the last episode, we are as ever, milking a, a, a tradition. So we're bringing back on our friend Ian Smith, um, heading up last night from Glasgow. Ian, good evening. How are you doing, sir? Evening. Well, you? Uh, no bad, thank you. Yeah, no bad. Just feeling the love there before we come on the, the podcast. So thanks for that. Uh, I'll maybe share some of that. I need, need to do the outtakes one day from um, from these, if I ever get around to it. I don't okay. think you should. <laughs> cool. So we're going to rattle on. We've got um, five albums to get through as ever. Pretty eclectic mix. So the first one on the list at number 10 uh, is The Miseducation of Lauren Hill by Lauren Hill. So quick summary of the uh, Rolling Stone justification and then we'll kick off um, with John. This is a very sexist industry, Lauren Hill told Essence magazine in 1998. They'll never throw the genius title to a sister. Though already a star as co-leader of the Fugees with Wycliffe John, she was hungry to express her own vision. Each song was driven by a clarity of vision and personal honesty that felt revelatory. In To Zion, she detailed her struggles as an ambitious professional and a new mum. Miss Education's musical legacy is just as deep. A time when pop was becoming increasingly slick and digitised in the go-go 90s, here was an album that showed the commercial appeal of a raw sound. You can't get that sound from a computer because a computer's too perfect. But that human element, that's what makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I love that. So that was the Rolling Stone summary of The Miseducation, number 10 on the list. And it was released on the 25th of August, 1998. And uh, it's first off the taxi rank tonight, and Mr. Welsh is going to take us away. All yours, John. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, um, let's start with this one. I Top ten, right? I, I mean, I, I think it's it's a good album. Um, there's some really decent songs, and I think "Do Wop," fantastic. The piano on it, the horns. Um, it, you know, it's really a standout track. "To Zion," which is about son, um, Lauren Hill's son uh, that she had with I think Rohan Marley, um, Bob Marley's son, I believe. Yeah, Carlos Santana, Spanish guitar, excellent. You know, lots of things going on. Gospel music, X Factor. Oh, that was really, really good. Um, and I think it's quite. There's a lot of themes going on here, and she talks about 
the male-orientated record industry and the difficulties that that brought her as a female into the industry. She'd been in a band before, the Fugees, and um, striking out on her own. And, you know, she, she's still really, really young at this point as well. I think she's only about 20, 21 when, mm-hmm. you know, the album came out. Um, I think it's a, a decent body of work. Um, a lot of fusion of, you know, diff- different types of music, bit of reggae, soul, hip-hop, R&B, etc., etc. Um some of the songs, particularly R&B ones, I think are a bit wishy-washy, a bit powder puff, particularly when it hurts so bad. It's found that insanely boring. Um, there is, you know, Forgive Thy Father, I think it's called. The lyrics and that are, you know, quite interesting. Um I it was okay. I, you know, I, mm. top 10 album, never, not a chance. And But I think it's it as lauded as really been up there as, as an exceptional album. I don't get that, quite frankly. I, you know, when I compare it to the score by the Fugees, give me, give me the Fugees album every single day of the week over this. Wow. That was an okay. album that I bought. I bought at the time. I played it to death. Um, I actually played it. I've not played it in years, um, but I did play it after I listened to this just to say, well, you know, is that my sense of where you know what was listened to in nineteen ninety six or whenever that came out compared to, um, you know, now? But I stand by that. I think the Fuji's album is far better than this, um, but. As a reference point and some of the themes going through it, um, top hundred album probably, def- I think it probably is. But um, top ten, not not in your nelly, Mister. Okay. Um, and I, I think as well, you know, she did struggle at the time as well. I think there's a lot of she had a lot of difficulties going on in her life with the Fuji's. I think she's a bit of writer's block as well. But once, I think she she written a couple of songs, everything just flowed. She ended up mm. with about 30-odd songs uh, to, mm. you know, to pick the album from. So um, so that was quite interesting. And um, just just the last bit of trivia, because you know I like a wee bit of trivia. You do? Uh, the singer in It Bites, who had that hit in the 90s, Calling, Calling All the Heroes. the Heroes. Yep. He actually plays on the album. Plays what? So, guitar on a couple of tracks. Okay. So there you go. I'm not sure that's going to, that's not going to call it in, is it, I think? I don't think it's going to swing any of these views on the album, but I did find that interesting. It is. I like a wee bit of trivia. You do indeed, and thanks for that. It's good to kick us off. So, interesting, Hmm. a couple of interesting things, and then we'll, we'll, we'll bring Ian in. So, it's our only solo studio album. Um, to date, and that's quite unusual. I know that some guys kind of had a one-off and then disappeared, but there's not too many that have only had one record on their own and it's came in the list, never mind, in the top ten. So there's obviously something going on there, whatever that happens to be. The other interesting thing is that, as you know, they've, they've re-voted or recalibrated this list, I think, three times now, and this is one of those ones that's went up the way. So it was 300 
um, when it kicked off, I think in 2003, I think it was, and the last one, obviously now it's number 10. So again, I don't know why that is, but it's one of these albums that appears to be gathering more favour as it goes down the line rather than less. Um, and, and you're right, the Fugees at the time were huge and then she does a solo album, so you'd imagine there's a bit of interest in it, soul doodles, 10 million copies and all that stuff, it was huge. But, you know, 25 years later, it still appears to be gathering that, that sort of praise from, from people, um, which I think is interesting. Uh, the one other point I would make as well. Go on. There's these wee sort of big vignettes at the end of a number of songs, and it, you know, it's kind of teacher in the classroom. What's the point of that? What a push. Get it to you. <laughs> Out the door. I'd, it I'd adds also, nothing. It adds nothing. I also, if you listen to it, the very first one that they do, she's not even in the class. That's the miseducation, isn't it? That's the that's the piece that she's she's missing What's doing her doing is, her album. What is the point? Go on, if she'd been in point? all the classes, she wouldn't have What's did the album. Point? So, you know, that, that's the point, it. right? I'm, I'm here let for the music. No. John, let her make her point. Absolutely. So, but, um, yeah, sixteen tracks. No, I've not. So you mentioned a lot of tracks. So she might have thirty odd, but she stuck sixteen in, including hidden tracks and stuff. So. It's fairly chunky <clears throat> and um, 77 minutes, so, you know, mm. kind of double album length, isn't it? Which I guess is a pretty mm. big ask for a, for a kind of hip-hop um, neo-soul artist. Um, okay, um, Ian. So John, John John likes it but doesn't love it, so what, what's your take, mate? Uh, John's wrong and right, because okay. it's clearly not. This is the highest position of a female artist in the list, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Am I right in saying that? Second highest. Who's highest? Joni. Well, Joni Mitchell, of course she is. Uh, well, let's just cut through that crap. You're telling me this is a better album than Tapestry by Carole King. It isn't. No. It's not a better album than Aretha Franklin's Aretha Now or Why I, I Ain't Ever Loved a Man. There are a whole ream of female singer-songwriter records that would leave this in their dust. That said, I reckon it's the best R&B album ever made. I think wow. it's a masterpiece. I love it. Uh, okay. From start to finish, I could bathe in it on a daily basis. I think X Factor is probably my favourite soul song ever written. Uh, I think it's a it's a, it's a mesmerising record. Why do you think that, Ian? Why? Uh, yeah. What's, what's, the, what's the thing that presses your button? It's raw. It's, it's honest. It, you can feel the pain in it. Uh, it's not overly produced it's not overly synthetic hmm. uh, it has its origins in kind of stacks and high soul music so you can hear Al Green in it you can hear uh, the great lineage and heritage that she's drawing on so I think it feels authentic uh, I'd much rather listen to Anne Peebles than listen to Lauren Hill yeah. I'd much rather listen to Irma Thomas than listen to Lauren Hill. I'd much rather listen to Aretha Franklin than listen to Orn Hill. And I'd much rather play Go for a Pint and listen to R&B. So we'll shelf this as being a great proclamation on my part. I don't really like the genre it comes from, but I think this is head and shoulders above anything else in that bracket. Okay. Uh, and I think it's got two or three truly, truly mesmerising songs in it, and X Factor would be one of them. For that reason alone, it deserves a place in this list. 
it's such a beautiful piece of songwriting. It's an incredibly well-produced album and it's beautiful musicianship. So it feels like a really well-crafted work. And to me, it feels complete. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of filler in it. But I can see that's a personal taste matter, where it sits for you. It resonates with me probably because of when it came out and what I was doing and what I was listening to. And I wasn't listening to a lot of that music. And if you were to look in my record collection, you wouldn't see a whole heap of R&B or New Soul. Yeah. Uh, but I would certainly, if I had to pick 100 records to take away with me, this would be in the top 100 without a shadow of a doubt. Well, wouldn't be top 10. Not a chance would it no. be top no, and I think it kind of validates some of John's thinking, I think, which um, which makes sense. If you think about, you know, some of the argument for these records is, you know, A, did they sell a lot, I guess, were they popular, and B, did they have an influence? And some of the some of the roll call of people who quote this album as being their favourite album, whether you love those artists or not, but it's a pretty impressive roll call. Macy Gray, Beyonce, Rihanna, Adele, you know, so whatever you think of that, you can... You know, that jumping well, I off think point. they're all watered-down, poor examples of Lauren Hill, who's a watered-down, poor example of Aretha Franklin. So Possibly. that's what I think. Possibly. Yeah, but they've all got their moments as well. I mean, some of those guys have made some pretty good records, I think. Mm. Beyonce, he's made some good stuff. I think we voted one in, I think, somewhere back in the you day. Might have done. Yeah, uh, it might have been earlier this year. Is it lemonade? I think it was John. We, we voted one out, and one in. I think, um, yep. and I think on merit. But anyway, that's I, I totally Lemonade's get that. Great album. Yeah, great totally album. get that. So there is a there is a kind of you know props there to her for you know pushing into a, a genre and a, an influence that's obviously had some impact. Um, interesting, Caroline. Um, some of our, our sort of virtual panel, mm. Caroline Binney, uh, voted it in as a yes as well, um, which I was a little bit surprised about. To be honest, uh, Caroline says it's passionate and powerful. A groundbreaking multi-Grammy winner definitely deserves a place on the list. So there's something going on there, isn't there? So um, on that point, um, Lisa, what do you think of Lorne Hill? Um, do you know, again, it's what Ian says, it's a, a genre that I'm not really too, well, I'm familiar with it, but it's not something that, it's not my go-to. Um, and I hadn't actually heard this album, I'm afraid to say. I've heard some of the tracks, but I haven't listened to the album from start to finish. Mm -hmm. um, obviously remember her from the Fugees. But to me, I feel as if, uh, uh, John, you said she was about 21. I think she was about 23 when this album came out. Right. I could be wrong. Still mm -hmm. young, young, but I, th I feel that she, she's sort of emerged maturely um, as a solo artist, you know, after her time with the Fugees. And I, and I think as, I really enjoyed the record um, as a whole. Um, I think I can relate as a woman. I could really feel, you know, the emotion, um, the pain, mm -hmm. the choices that a woman, very often, most women have to make in life. And mm -hmm. and I suppose as a, as a, a female in the music business, it's, it's particularly difficult um, you know, how do you balance that whole thing between, you know, being a mother, having your career? We all we all do it. We all do it. But, you know, when you're doing it in the public eye and a world that is very male dominated, it must be even more difficult. So like John said, that the, the song that struck me was to Zion, you know, about her son. Yeah. And um, I love the whole Santana bit of that, obviously, like a bit of yeah. Santana and the, the acoustic Spanish guitar. But it was more the emotion about that song. You know, that was a, a decision that she had to take really seriously in terms of the future of her career. Did she did she she actually made that decision to 
carry on with this pregnancy, you know, d- despite the difficulties in her personal life. And and it's almost like a, a sort of maybe a, a spiritual reawakening in mm-hmm. her at that point where she sees that there's so much more to life. And I think that's what I was um the point that when I was a saying to John, you know, you know, what's the point in the, the bit at the beginning? Well, that is the point. The point is she wasn't there, she wasn't at school. But it doesn't matter because that's not where you get your education from. It's your experiences in life, how you deal with them, how you react to them, and how you evolve as a person. Um, is you know, is your education and mm. and where you eventually end up. I mean, she talks about def- um, refining her own destiny. Um, in the lyrics, not that particular song. I think that's in oh, what's the last what's the last track? I can't remember the name of it. There's a couple of hidden tracks as well, isn't there? So, um, anyway, anyway yeah. you see my point. Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's a small, it's a, it's a small thing, but I can see what she's doing with it. And I, you know me, I like that kind of um, structure and yeah. the, the, the sort of continuation of a theme, and you know the resolution. So, no, I really, I really like the record. I'll definitely listen to it again. I'm a bit ashamed that I've not listened to it before, but. You know, coming back to both John top and yeah. top ten, absolutely not a chance. You know, and okay, I, I, I just can't see how it can come ahead of so many great female albums. You know, it's or female artists. It's, well, we shouldn't even be discussing. That's the the, the frustrating. Whether it's female thing. or not, exactly. But yes. that's the frustrating thing is there's two women in the top yes. ten. Yes. So the argument is being presented that we are suggesting mm-hmm. Laurel Hill's the second greatest female artist ever. I don't think she is, but I'd have Lauren Hill ahead of so many of the men that are in this list. Mm. Uh-huh. And the last time we were on, we did that D'Angelo album, which frankly could the arse of Lauren Hill's album. It who, doesn't get close to it. Who guests on this album, of course, Ian? What? He guests on this album, D'Angelo. Good for him. Then well done for him for appearing on a good record. Because he's yet to make one. This top hundred thing um kind of proves her point about how difficult it is. And, and lots of other female artists have talked about it, how difficult it is. Yeah. In the music business um that's predominantly run by men. Yeah. And it, it, sure. this is the evidence of it that you know that you've got her and one other who should be there. Um, in the top 10, and then the rest of it, there's a lot of male dross in there. Mm. I get, totally get that. I think we all agree with that. Um, okay, we can get around the, around the room in a minute. Um, so it was the only, only album. Um, three of the six guys that have, have came back with comments, some of our previous guests, are yeses. So it was a 50% shy rate at the moment from the guys. Carling was in. Um, Martin Metcalf was a yes. Uh, a breath of fresh air amongst the likes of Kerry and Houston's pyrotechnic singing. Was Martin's comment. Um, David Ross was a no. I'll come back to David later. Um, and Dixon, if I can find Dixon Telford, was uh, well, Dixon was a, was a yes as well. Dixon was in. So we've got three out of six there. Um, so we can go around the room in a second. A couple of things just to mention to finish. As I say, talk about the impact, which was fairly <laughs> significant. Our only album... She's had six children. She had one then, but she's had a sort of a life of being a mother, I think, since then. Um, she also uh, had bipolar disorder, 
that she was dealing and managing with um, off and on most of her career. So, you know, as Lisa said, there's a lot going on there, which in most people's normal life is, I guess, is a challenge. So why wouldn't it be any different for a, a black R&B singer, you know? So, so a bit, a bit of sort of, you know, heads up to her for that. Um, she also had a lawsuit from um, her kind of wrecking crew, which were, uh, called, they were called New York. So the group of musicians that pretty much played on the record. Um, so they basically sued her saying they, they deserve writing credits for a couple of the songs. And she ended up settling for that down the down the line. So, which isn't unusual. I think we talk a lot about that on you know rap and hip hop and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, she had a bit of help, but um, but a lot of it was down to her. Okay, cool. So, um, what we've got three or six so far. So let's get around the room. So we start with John. John. Yes. Yes, for a hundred. Ian. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes, for a hundred. Um. <clears throat> It's definitely yes, top hundred, but top ten. Okay, well, we'll as you know, we'll get the chance to re- relist them, as you know. So, um, yep. but but if it's on the list, it's got its chance to be relisted for sure. Yeah, it's, a, it's a yes. And I, I would absolutely um, say it's a great album, um, and certainly not my sweet spot. But I actually bought it at the time, and it's one of these things I've dipped in and out of over the years. So, um, really enjoy it, but probably not top ten, as as you say. Um, okay. Couple of things to finish on it. Then it was the first hip hop album to win the album of the year um, on the Village. What can what they call it? The Village Voice, Papin, whatever it was called. You know that list that they do, um, which was interesting. And also, I didn't know this one. So it was the first. Get this right now. It was the first hidden track to get a Grammy nomination for Record of the Year. Mm. Um. Didn't win, but I think it was on a soundtrack somewhere. Can't take my eyes off of you. And um, they then put it on the album as a sort of hidden track and it got nominated and didn't win and all that stuff. It's all the stuff that George would be shouting out about, but he's not on anyway. So um, so we're voting that one in. So that's a yes uh, for Lauren. So she is good to go. Cool. So number nine is uh, Bob Dylan with Blood on the Tracks. So we'll just get the quick summary of um, Mr. Dylan. And then Eno take us away. Bob Dylan once introduced this album's opening song, Tangled Up in Blue, on stage as taking him 10 years to live and two years to write. It was for him a pointed reference to the personal crisis, the collapse of his marriage to Sarah Lowndes, that at least partly inspired this album, Dylan's best of the 70s. In fact, he wrote all of these lyrically piercing, gingerly majestic folk pop songs in two months in mid-74. Quote, a lot of people tell me they enjoyed that album, Dylan said soon after it became an instant commercial critical success. It's hard for me to relate to that. I mean, people enjoying that type of pain. Yet Dylan had never turned so much pain into so much musical splendour. Okay, number nine on the list, released 20th of January 1975. It's his 15th uh, studio album and it's his third album on the list and we'd voted the other two onto the list already. Um, Highway 61 in London Bond. Mr. Smith, all yours. Where do you start? Don't, don't like it then. Uh, well, I was, the last time I was on this, I spent uh, quite some time talking about the universal truth of the Beatles being superior to anything else on the planet and anyone saying otherwise is mistaken. Well, Dylan comes second. Okay. Uh, and this is his crowning glory. Yeah, I think it's the best singer-songwriter album anyone, best solo album anyone's done, ever. 
uh, I think it's Dylan's finest work, and that's going some when you've got albums like Blonde and Blonde and John Wesley Harding and Highway 61 Revisited, bringing it all back home. There's such an array of greatness in it. <clears throat> but I think what Blood in the Tracks brings that isn't so present in his other work is the personal anguish of what led to it. So you can sit back and revel in things like Like a Rolling Stone or, you know, Just Like a Woman or, or any of those marvellous songs from those great 60s albums, but they're all second-party character studies. They're all stories. Mm. They're poems. They're majestic. The lyrics are sensational. The musicianship is out of this world. But personally speaking... Nothing cuts as deep as Simple Twist of Fate, which is my favourite Dylan song. Uh, one of my favourite songs ever written. I adore Blood in the Tracks. I adore pretty much everything that man's ever done. You know, there's three sections of my record collection dedicated to the Beatles and there's two and a half dedicated to Dylan. So it's a pretty epic adoration I have. Do I think this is the ninth best album in the world? Of course I don't. It's better than pretty much <laughs> everything other than the two Beatles albums in the top ten. Uh, but it's certainly deserving of the position of being Dylan's highest album, but it's an embarrassment that people think the other records on this list tonight are better than that. Uh, if you okay. know the album... And you can get past the thing that most people can't with Dylan, which is his vocal style. If you can get past how he performs and you can't find the beauty and the anguish and the heartbreak and the desolation and the recovery within it, then mm. you've got no soul. So he's, he's, broadly, he's, he's broadly denied the fact that it's autobiographical. Yeah, but he's a cantankerous old bastard. Of course he does. He has, but even at the yeah. time when it was raw, yeah. he, he, he still denied it. You know, and he, if, the story was he wrote the demos, the verticomers. Chekhov's short stories, apparently. Yeah, apparently, yeah. So he, he records. So he says he records the guts okay. of the songs in New York, which is in a kind of effect a bit of a sort of acoustic thing, right? So he does most of them there, takes them down um, to yeah. visit the family. The family go, what are you doing, mate? They've not got, you know, they're good enough songs, but they don't really have any balls in them. And you need to go and beef them up a bit and put a bit more emotion in, and then he gets the Minneapolis crowd in to record them and does what he does and stuff. So, it, you know, even the, the the way the album was made, he writes it songs in isolation and in effect brings his people around him to finish it. Suggests that he's kind of wrapping around some sort of support mechanism to to do it. Um, but he's he, also he called it Blood in the Tracks, and it's called Blood in the Tracks. Yeah, yeah, but he's a no one. We're going to Bob Dylan is going to die at some point, and no one is going to be any the wiser. <laughs> or not? I mean, you could you could yeah. watch all of No Direction Home frontwards, backwards, ten times in a row, and you'd still come away scratching your head. He's a, he's an enigma. Yeah, he's, and that's wonderful. But you you can you can look at all the interviews and studies of Bowie, of Lennon, of McCartney, of Jagger, of Richards, of people like that, and have a sense of what they're about. And Dylan, despite his enormous body of work, is almost as obscure a character as Tom Waits, who goes out of his way to be an obscure character. So I don't really care whether Bob says it's about his divorce or not. To yeah. me, everything about that is, 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 the, is the misery and anguish of 
success and failed relationships wrapped into one. It's it's, sure, a, it's a masterpiece. I'm sure I know the answer to this, Ian, but is it, is it his last great album? No, I don't get close. He's made about 20 great albums since then. Has he, but? Oh, yeah, Love and Theft's an absolute masterpiece. Okay. Oh, Mercy is a total killer. Uh, oh, he's made some great, great, great <laughs> albums. Love and Theft is an absolute ripper. So is Oh Mercy, both daughters. Yeah. I, I love Bob I, Dylan. I think Bobby. that's a, the beauty of yeah. lyrics, though, isn't it? You know, I mean, he's he's saying, well, it's not about this, right? And everybody's listening to it, and he's coming at this failed relationship, and they're going, well, clearly that's what you're writing about. Yeah. But you get a lot of musicians who say, well, I'm not telling you what it's about, because it's what you what, what you take out of it. Yeah. yeah. That's so fine. He, so... He went by to... So, interestingly, he went by to Columbia for, for this one, didn't he? And... You know, he, he, he genuinely believed he wrote something good. Whatever whatever his backstory was, he knew the songs were good. So he wanted to go back to Columbia because he knew they would give it the oomph to get it out there. And, of course, it ended up number one in the US, which at the time was a bit of a surprise. He, you know, his, his star wasn't as high at that point as it had been, you know, in the 60s. Um, and, you know, it sort of validated really everything that he'd, he'd chosen to do. And even the UK, it was very popular. It was, um, it was number four, I think, in the UK. And interestingly, we've done this a few times, John. It was um, the NME's album of the year in 1975. Was it? Yeah. NME incorrect decision shocker. Well, you know, it's the old monkeys and typewriters, right? So, um, but, you know, I think you can see that it it went across, you know, pretty much all of the markets, not just in the USA or the UK, you know, everywhere it kind of hit the button. So there's obviously If you're going to like a Dylan album, this is the one you're going to like, I would have said. Yeah, I love it. I'm not going to review it myself. I love it, right? It's also got my f- favourite Dylan song on it, Ian, but it's a different one to you. So, um, yeah, so Martin, I was just flicking through a couple of guests here and we'll move on to Lisa um, just to keep the conversation going. Martin Metcalf's a no on this one for the top 100. Martin needs a slap. Martin, Martin will be happy to justify. He says it's good. Um, great in places. Idiot Win, Jack of Hearts, but it's not a great album. <laughs> Is Martin's take on it, and on that on that point, um, Lisa, blood on the tracks. You came to me next on purpose, didn't you? Yeah. Right. So I'm, um, you know, I'm one of those philistines that has kind of struggled with Dylan um, over the years. I've brought up with him, had them in the house when I was young, and it, but there was something about his voice that, like you said, I'm soulless, mm. couldn't get past. Um, a lot of tracks. I didn't I say love. not liking his voice was soulless. I said not appreciating <laughs> the lyrical content of Blood in the Tracks was soulless. It, it kind of became, I'm one of these people that, you know, the vocals kind of um, can be problematic for me. But I, I do appreciate his lyrics, his, you know, I mean, the incredible imagery and the, the way that <clears throat> I do appreciate all that. And But what I wanted to say was that until this album, I don't think I really appreciated them as much as I should have. And I think this is the album that has done it for me. Um, I've listened to it quite a lot over the past couple of weeks and I think I might be convinced. <laughs> I know okay. I'm laughing at myself, um, but no, I really I really felt this album and, and whether he denies it or not, these lyrics come from personal pain experience, you know, is it a definitive breakup album? 
I don't know. Um, but I, I read that he, he did actually, you know, the original album that he recorded at <laughs> um, is it Studio 4 was more bleak and melancholic. <laughs> and he actually, he was he was that concerned about failure that he, he even changed lyrics, even back and then um, re-recorded some of it mm. and changed lyrics and even changed the keys in some of the, the songs to just bring it up that wee bit. And possibly that's the thing that's, you know, all that together has um, helped to make it the most enjoyable album that it is. Um, yeah, yeah um, I've, I've got past that stage now. There's a few times I, ooh, ooh, you know, don't yeah. like those. Those bits, I just think, oh, you didn't need to do that. You didn't need to do that. It's such a lovely song. What you just kind of, and th these things just grate on me just a wee bit. Um, and as I've said before, I, I, you know, I quite enjoy these songs sung by other people. I know I'm a Philistine, so. Yeah, no, 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 I get that. I, because the songs are written so well. I that, did, I did. I love this know. album. A lot of great songs in there. Um, really felt it this time. Good. That's brilliant news. Um Okay, that's great news. A um, couple of things it's, to mention on that. So I know that education um, of Lisa Semple. It's another book. It's <laughs> As another opportunity album. This education. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> thanks for that. I know Jacob. Jacob Dillon said that the, the songs are pretty much like his mum and dad talking at the time, aren't they? Mm -hmm. So he, you know, he's all, he's never he's never shut away from saying that. You know, it's clearly um, part of our, my growing up in my parents' situation at the time. So um, I guess you you, you pay your money, take your choice on that. Um, okay, cool. As I say, Martin was um, wasn't in. A um, couple of other guys were, were absolutely in, uh, which is fine. Um, John, you started earlier on there, um, so do you want to come in and finish your take on that? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a pretty solid album, pretty consistent. Um, wouldn't say it's my favourite Dylan album, but I'm not. I'm by far from a Dylan aficionado. Um, for want of a, a better phrase, it doesn't give me a stirring in my loins, but for, maybe if I listen to it, it might become a growler. Okay. What is your favourite Dylan album? Just out of curiosity. Um, probably Highway 61. Right, okay. Visited, um, or, yeah, maybe Blonde and Blonde. Just around about that that period, so two or three albums around about then, I, I probably my go-to if I was going to listen to Dylan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's good. I don't think it was a standout album, but it's, it's very consistent. So, yeah, it's fine. Um, I do hope one day, you know, I, I think Ian was saying he's a bit of an enigma, but I, I do look forward to the follow up album that he's supposedly rumoured to have done at the time, <laughs> which was a a railway concept album called Leaves on the Tracks. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Uh, I, I never re Twitter X chats, John. It's just, the you know, it's hard enough for guys to watch or listen to this without put up with that as well. So, But thanks for yeah. bringing that back up again, mate. No, I, that's fine. And it, just the last point, I think um, reading about it, he, he did a playback for some friends. Yeah. And I don't know if you read that, so... Graham Nash was one of them. And um, upon listening to it, he said to Stephen Stills, he said, he's a good producer, but he's no musician. Yeah. I'm kind of thinking, if you need, if that's your friends, mm -hmm. Been his enemies. interesting take. Yeah, indeed. 
Yeah. So mind you, did you not? You know, did, did Bob Dylan not fall asleep um, when Joni Mitchell did the playback of Court and Spark to him before it was right. released? Yeah, mm-hmm. she trusted. He was the only guy who heard the whole playback before it came out, and she asked for feedback, and he says, "I'm really sorry, I slept yeah. for for most of it." So. So, so if, he's, if he's not a musician, he's, he's done no bad for himself, to be fair. He has. A um, couple of things to finish mm-hmm. on. Um, Lisa, back to your own point about the original demos and stuff. So most of that stuff's now available. So, you know, the kind of bootleg series that he's been releasing over time, um, you can get most of those. I think uh, series one to three, I think, catches most of them. And they're, they're, they're still brilliant, you know. It's just, as you say, they're slightly different to what it was. It's called More Blood in the Tracks, and it's a double thank, album. Thank you, Ian. Thank you very much. Um mm-hmm. Also saw a lovely quote, uh, back to your point, I think you said Simple Twist of Fate, Eam is your favourite song, I think is what you said there. Yeah. My favourite Dylan song, yeah. Dylan song, yeah. And, and one of the reviewers said the song was a, a man's life in a song. Which I she thought was, was kind born of... in spring, but I was born too late. So my favourite um, is in the next song after it, You're a Big Girl Now. And, That's beautiful. Um, I also, I, I'm terrible with lyrics. I think John's talked about this before. I think we tend to, to default to mu- the music first and then kind of get into lyrics later down. I'm very guilty of that. But I love this album because I actually can, I clearly can pick out a lot of the lyrics without trying too hard, if I'm being honest. I think they're just so good. And he, he, is the one on that, he says, um, the, the, my pain stops and starts like a corkscrew to my heart. And, and it kind of tops and tails and stuff. And it's just, it's literally just stops you in your tracks yeah. and you've got to listen to it. I put it on again, actually, um, yesterday, I think it was, because I had my I had my headphones on. And there's not that many records that I, I genuinely do that to. Um, I, I can, if I do put that on, it will stay in my turntable for a couple of weeks. It cool. will be hard to be displaced. One very quick thing, you were asking the last great Dylan album. I was. Be a real school of thought that would say Desire is one of his greatest albums. I'm not a fan. That immediately follows it. But I'll give a huge shout out, Lisa. If you want a Dylan album to go listen to next, go listen to Street Legal, where he okay. gets a gospel choir in to do backing vocals. It is a joy. Right. Where's my pen? Street Legal. Lisa, Much underrated, Lisa, brilliant Dylan album. Lisa, I can do Ian mentioned his voice on I can do his voice on the Street Legal time. I'm good at that. And you know, can you me long? How's that? Yeah, don't give up the day job, bring. <laughs> that sounds like the pub singer and um, shooting stars. Oh my God, oh. John, that that was worse than my version of. <laughs> I just, um, I'm, I'm here to be beaten down with a stick. Um, uh, so Caroline loved it. Said you can't have a top ten without Dylan in there, and this one's as you know as good as any to be in there. David Ross's comments were "fuck yes!" exclamation mark. Good um, man. Just quick, quick couple of liners from David. He says, "I'm writing this comment four years to the day from seeing him play live at the Beacon in New York. I appreciate he can be a bit hit and miss live, but we obviously got him a good night. And much of the set drew from this and the two preceding masterpieces. Lyrically, it's phenomenal, like a combination of Steinbeck and Shakespeare. Yeah, cool." Um, he doesn't say that about Nirvana, to be fair, we'll come on to that. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Cool, so we've got five out of six of our, our guests um, who have come back, have voted it in. So we, we're, we're in a pretty good place here, I think, but it's worth coming back round. Um, Ian, you started us off, mate. Uh, top five with a bullet. Top five with a bullet. 
Masterpiece. Okay. Would it be above Abbey Road then? No, Abbey Road's number one with the bullet. Oh, so it's just it's five on the list. That was all I was asking. Yeah. So. Why well, did you do that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> save that for the next one. Lisa? Yes. Thanks. Yes. Yeah, I'm pleased about that, Lisa. It's an I've, amazing, I've thought, amazing I've, album. I've made a journey throughout amazing this podcast, album. especially with Bob Dylan. So, yeah. I think Ian should take most of the credit for that, right? Um, John. Bob, Bob Dylan. Yeah. Not Dylan, Ian. Yeah, just give Ian the credit. John. Uh, for him, yes. I think, I think it could scrape into my top 50. Thank you. And I, I, I love the album, so... Um, there's only there's only one dissenter, Martin. So we'll, um, he's on a roll tonight, Martin. We'll we'll catch up with him soon, no What's doubt. In a bad mood. Um, yeah, just a very very quick PSM. Um, Twitter the last time minted our, our Twitter ex friends because we always call them out. Um, Lauren Hill, they were sixty four percent no for Lauren Hill, and Mister Patterson quote would be that there's sixty four percent idiots, right? Um, except George voted that a no. So now he'll be a big fan, obviously, of, of the guys who take part in our poll because he's violently agreeing with them. So um, that was Lauren Hill, but for Dylan, it was um, it was only 67%. Yes. And, I, you know, our, our kind of following, if you want, is a bit of a sweet spot for Dylan and Beatles and stuff like that. I was a bit surprised at that. I'm not sure why. But my final point, just to move on, was that one of many reasons that I love um, Big Girl now is that uh, one of my other favourite artists, Lloyd Cole, does a fantastic cover of it. It just reiterates my love for, for Mr. Cole. So just want to get that. As do the go-betweens. If he's watching. I, if he's what? Hi, Lloyd. Uh, yeah, the go-betweens do, actually, mate. Yeah, I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Absolutely. Cool. Brilliant. Okay. Um, Bob is in. So that's uh, three albums on the list and three in. I'm sure you could put more in, Ian, but, um, but at least we'll, we'll rubber stamp what was already there. Okay. So we are on to number eight now. So number eight is um, Prince with Purple Rain. So let me just find the summary of that. Okay. Rolling Stone said, I think Purple Rain is the most avant-garde thing I've ever done. Prince told Ebony in 1986. He was still a rising star with only a couple of hits when he got the audacious idea to make a movie based on his life and make his next LP the movie's soundtrack. When it was released in 84, he became the first artist to have the number one song, album and movie in North America. Then, quote, listening to Purple Rain now, it's kind of like a Beatles album. Keyboard, keyboardist Matt Fink of the Revolution told Rolling Stone shortly after Prince's death in 2016. Every song is just so brilliant in its own way, also different and unique. The title track was one of several songs recorded live at his hometown club. It was inspired by Bob Seger, of all people, and he decided to try a ballad in the Seger mode. The result may be the greatest rock ballad of all time. That was Rolling Stone. Uh, Prince Purple Rain No. 8 was released on the 25th of June, 1984. And we're moving over to Lisa now to, to lead us on this one. All yours, Lisa. You mentioned Bob Seger, apparently, Prince, at this point when he... Um... You know, he, he was this kind of character that was this mysterious person that he didn't want to know anyone. He didn't want anyone to know who he was, what his gender was, anything. He's this kind of puff of purple, you know, that would appear in, in a sort of alien-like way. But um, at this point, I think he really wanted to do something that was a breakthrough. He'd had a, a couple of singles, but... Um, He'd asked, he'd asked, what did Bob Seger do to really, you know, to break through? And this was his kind of 
um, moment, Purple Rain. I, I don't know. I didn't see the film. Did anyone else see it? Yeah. Well, I, no. I'm kind of, I've got to say, I didn't <laughs> see the film and I'm really, really glad that I didn't because I've heard it's pretty shite, to be honest with you, to be relaxed and all the rest of it. And I think that might influence how I fe feel about the album because I, although it's a soundtrack to the film, I do feel that it, it, it stands alone. It, it is a wee hmm. bit biographical, whatever, you know, it's a sort of teenage revolting against your parents, um, drugs, sex, not wanting to be like them. Um, but I, I don't know, I, I'm so glad that I saw him live before he died. Just I saw him mm -hmm. at the hydro, um, it was about 18 months just before he died. That's right, yeah. So yeah, so 2015, so I think. What, what a talented mm -hmm. musician and what a vision. <clears throat> the hydro had, sorry, I'm not talking about the album here, but the hydro had this all-female leather clad band which obviously my husband enjoyed quite a lot but um they were just incredible but but this this album i love it it's just, it's probably um one of my all-time favorite albums um he's just such he plays every instrument he's he's just so talented i think he's <clears throat> played the piano and, mm -hmm. and and he described his his um Sort of musical education is almost military from his father, but um, that doesn't really come across so much in style here. But um, I, I don't think you'll get a better rock guitarist than Prince. You know, I think he's better than any other rock guitarist. That's just me because I'm a mm -hmm. big Prince fan. But I think this album just can it just combines so many different genres like synth pop, metal. R&B, soul, yet what you get in the end is 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 a sort of unique sound in its own, you know, it, it's, mm. it's, um, it's raunchy, it's seductive, the lyrics can be ambiguous yet explicit. Um, funnily enough, the, the first song, Let's Go Crazy, <clears throat> is clearly about just live life you know, it's all about rock and roll, just live your life now, you won't be here mm -hmm. forever. And then I, I interestingly read that it, the one critic had said that um, that it, it immediately drops into Take Me With You. And I thought, oh God, what's wrong with me? That's one of my favourite tracks on the album, yeah. Take Me With You. I, I just think it, it the, the, you know, the strings and the, it, it just sort of chugs, chugs along so seductively you know, if I was going to run away with another man, that would be on my playlist. That would be on in the car, you know, and it's such a, a road trip vibe to it, you know, and I think, how can somebody say that that is a dud in, in yeah. the album? Of course, everything's, it's... Subjective, it's right? Subjective, isn't it? It's subjective. I mean, there's, there's great, great songs on that, and, and he's... He's so interesting the way he does things. You know, you've got the sort of cryptic um, computer blue that blends right into this sort of darling Nicky, which is quite sort of dark, raunchy. Um, you know, it demonstrates his predilection for um, the explicit lyrics, let's say. Um, oh, it's just... It, and then you've got when doves fly, that's quite personal. You know, he, he says, you know, maybe I'm just like my father, I'm too bold. Probably the, the most personal one. Um, 
obviously I love I die um, I would die for you. It's I mean the, the lyrics are a bit morose, but it's quite a celebratory sound. Yeah. yeah. Um and then of course the 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 title track, Purple Rain. Unfortunately, that's kind of spoiled for me by hearing it battered out so many times in, you know, pubs, karaoke, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, but all in all, it's just one of my favourite albums. I think it's just so unique. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm out on a limb here. <laughs> no, no, not for yourself, you're not, because it's your own limb, right? Um, so it, it was his sixth studio album, um, and you're right, it, it had... He had broken through in 1999, but you know he certainly wasn't a a, a mega star. Um, certainly as the 80s went, because obviously there was a few of these guys coming out with the whole debate about Thriller on the on the last um, episode and didn't vote it in. And it's very much kind of all of that time, isn't it? So I guess one of the questions is: Has it you know has it aged? I thought we felt Thriller Thriller had dated a little bit. Was really one of the reasons that maybe we didn't swing for it. So you don't think it's dated at I, all? To me, it's not at all. I've been listening to it over and over again this week and it still gives me that feeling I had when I first um, listened to it all these years ago. Okay. Well, he's had his second one on the list. We voted on Sign of the Times a while back. Um, I think we're all pretty comfortable with doing that. And there's a debate to be had, a bit like Dylan, I think, about, you know, is there other great Prince albums that could be considered, but... That won't be um won't be done today. Okay, a couple of things to mention, and then we'll we'll move on to John. So it, it did become mega number one US. It's seven in the UK, but it wasn't particularly big in the UK at the time. But what I didn't realise it was number one for twenty four weeks on the Billboard in the US. So not only did it get up there and get that recognition, it, it stayed there for what's that half a year almost. Uh, Wenders Cries number one, Purple Rain's number two as a single. So he was in that, you had Jackson, then you had Prince, and I think him and Springsteen swapped some places at that point, and then I think Madonna kind of came rolling over the hill. So he literally became part of the big hitter, um, sort of 80s world, and then I suppose arguably then reeled against that as he as he moved on to other <laughs> records, which which we'll come on to. Um, so thanks for that, Lisa, and thanks for the love for I do, it. I do, yeah. I do think he's underrated as a musician, though, just because of the kind of persona that he had. Yeah. You know, and he 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 didn't do interviews. He didn't want to be this, you know, person that was out there. He, I think he genuinely wanted to be known for his music. Yeah, I'm not sure he is underrated as a musician. We'll maybe come back to that. I, I think certainly why I read people basically revere him as as a musician. But um, I think some people are fooled by the the whole kind of show. You know, yeah. that, that this this guy in the purple. Um, Great showman, but you know, and grinding against the speakers, you know that. I wonder whether that maybe puts some people off. I don't know. Yeah, he was very much a pop star at this point, wasn't he? Uh, who happened that's, to play guitar? So he, he, he wanted to break yeah. through. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good point. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, thanks for that. Really good, um, John. Yeah, I mean, he'd had a little bit of success before, but I think this truly is his commercial breakthrough. Um, I think it's a masterpiece. It's a fantastic okay. album. I, I remember actually buying the single Let's Go Crazy at the Barland Market. Um, I used to remember hearing it in the radio and I was like, what the hell's that? I, I bought the single, I think that following weekend, getting up to the market with my mum and dad. Um, I wasn't overly into him, 
but that song in particular, and you know, I think the I think it was the B side was maybe Raspberry Beret as well. Mm -hmm. Just a great, great music. But listening to it, it's just just blows me away. Um, how good this is. In fact, I go as far as to say any one of those nine singles songs could have been a single easily. It is, so it's there all is killer, not a weak song. Filler, right? There is not a weak song. Yeah, so it's, nine, it's only nine tracks, um, forty three minutes. So you know mm -hmm. they've obviously kept it relatively tight. Um, so I don't know whether yeah. that's because because it is a soundtrack to the film. So I know there mm -hmm. is a, there's a little bit of adaption to the the songs for the al the album, but very little. And they might not have made it onto the radio either. <laughs> well, we'll go yeah. on. We'll maybe mention that the whole Tipper Gore thing because that I mean, that the Al Gore well, thing. Well, that's right. At this point, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the singles, I think everybody knows, but, you know, some listening songs like the, um, the Beautiful Ones, Computer Blue, Darling Nikki, and I'm, I don't know these songs, but they're great. Mm. You know, they, they're really, really strong. And the fact that he's pissed off Tipper Gore, I gets a massive tick in my box. <laughs> so, you know, for that reason uh. alone, um, you know, I, I, I'm very favourable to it. But I think it's great. I think it's a masterpiece. Um you know, I think Lisa was saying, you know, what a guitar player as well. Just absolutely stunning. Now, there is a, a clip somewhere on YouTube where he plays um, Purple Rain and it goes on for a lot longer. And I'm, I'm not really one into these big guitar licks and, you know, some guitar player getting a bit wanky for want of a better phrase, but you just watch and think, that, what is he doing? What is that sound that he's making here? It's just mesmerising. So it's a fantastic album. I think Nothing together. To saying. It's just it's great. And just remind me, John, when we did sign the times, were you um you were in for that? I wasn't as well? on that one. You were no, I wasn't on right, that okay. podcast. Okay, so would this be part of a, a sort of Prince love in for you, or is this something you've listened to and thought actually it's probably better than maybe I thought it was? Or what your... Well I, I hadn't actually listened to the album. Right. Up to now. Okay. So say knew the singles, but not the album. Um and this is it's definitely an album that I don't have that I think will be added to the record collection. Okay. Once I get my record player back working again, that's another story. <laughs> we'll come back to that. Okay, thanks, mate. We'll we'll get we'll come back in when we're doing the votes and stuff. I think one thing just to call out before we bring Ian in is that Maybe more than any other record, this was as close as Prince ever got to having a band album. Um, mm. There was a lot of input from the Revolution um, on this album. I think there's a co-credit as well on the album, which I think was unheard of really for him. Um, so although he always very much owned everything he did and he was you know very pressured about it, as you say, this was three of the songs were recorded live. Um, with just some overdubs after that, and the and the band are pretty much sort of leading what they do, and he's singing for most of them. It's not not him recording everything and and, and then sort of putting it all together. So it was, it was as cooperative as he would ever be, I think, as as someone leading a band. And I think it comes across the songs do feel as if a their sounds if they're having a great time, uh, and then b you know the band are, are very much to the forefront. And the thing I didn't realize because um, so Wendy and Lisa in the band are, are, are who were in the band through the revolution. I think this is right. Both of their parents were in the Wrecking Crew. Oh, I didn't um, know that. In the 60s. Mm. So, um, which is how they knew each other because their dads knew each other and they, they kind of grew up together and stuff like that. So whatever's going on in there, there's obviously some sort of, you know, musical heritage that 
that they've carried in, and I think Prince has recognised that at the time, and he's he certainly tapped into it rather than blocking it out, and it all comes through. So, yeah, um, thanks for that, John's cracking. Um, Ian? Uh, no. Okay, tell me why. And I love Prince, but this is Prince's born in the USA. It's the blip on his majestic catalogue. Uh, I think up to this point, he's an interesting soul-funk crossover. I think Controversy is an incredible record. Uh, Dirty Mind's a brilliant record. Uh, and after this point, when you've got Parade, Sign of the Times, just a masterpiece of epic proportions, this to me is, as I say, it's his born in the USA. It's his commercial sellout. It's his... Let's, it's his wake up boo. It's his I'm going to make a pop album and satisfy the masses. Uh, what's, what's wrong with having a record that's massively there's nothing popular? Wrong with it. Absolutely nothing wrong with it at all. Surely the songs. Unless what you're doing this is a personal, this is a personal taste because I love lots of pop music. So it's yeah, not a snobbery. Yeah. But no. what he was doing for me, he stops doing in Purple Rain. Right. And then he picks up it, picks it up again. In the same way as Springsteen's greatest album is also the worst thing he's ever done. I think Born in the USA is a terrible record, but it's the album that brought him all of the acclaim that he gets. And it's to me, it's very much the same thing. Uh, now, I was never, at the time this came out, I can tell you where I was when this album was released. I was on a school trip to France, and I was watching every 13-year-old girl in my class screaming mad over the Purple Rain soundtrack. So it probably tarnished my taste <laughs> a little bit. Uh, why are they not listening? Was that, to, was that to do with the it? film, though? Was that to do with the film? I have no idea. They probably had seen the film and they were all demanding. The acting in the... See, that's, I remember, that's my I can vividly remember a disco in Brittany. I will tell you no more. Like Christ Almighty, if I hear Let's Go Crazy one more time. Uh, so I've got Purple Rain. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's a, it's a terrible record and I think it's awful, but it sits in my Prince collection of 15 albums and it's probably the one I don't play. Now, I'm going to qualify that and say when he changed his name to Symbol, I stopped paying attention entirely. Right. But I don't think it stands up against Sign of the Times or Parade. I don't think it stands up against Controversy, which I think are... Three rock solid, really interesting, challenging albums, and Purple Rain to me is a middle of the road rock album. But it's a good middle of the road rock yeah, album. Yeah. So my question, back to what we're on here for. So my question is: Is it in the top hundred albums it, of all time? No. Yeah, it's not. No. So, it's so not. A, a very good Prince album. It's a very good Prince doesn't album. Doesn't make the top hundred albums. Ah, right. It's I, I I I would have three or four Prince albums above it. Okay. And there's not room in the top 100 for four Prince albums, so we've got to we've got to relegate Purple Rain down as not being justified. Okay, cool. Sorry. So that's okay. That's exactly what you're on for, mate. Thank you. A um, couple of comments from our uh, our virtual friends. Uh, Carline Benny said, "Purple Rain, yes, an electrifying album with some of his best songs, though not my print, not my Prince personal favourite. That's the Super Slinky Parade." Wouldn't disagree with that, I don't think. Um, David was a yes, um, but it was a qualified yes for pretty much everything you've just said, and part of that was the 80s production, and part of that was that it was as sort of poppy as he got. But he, he did say the song, he thinks the songs are amazing. 
and his PS to the reason it's a yes is. Um, however, he did try to run Michael Jackson and his family down in a car park whilst high, so he should be in it for that alone. Absolutely. Um, so for all you Michael Jackson fans well, out there, we're doing well with you guys at the moment. Is that because uh, Michael Jackson in, invited up on stage knowing that he was out of his face? So he was raging. That that's that's do, what I'm happened. I'm just feeding back from our from our friends. Um, and, and do, do you know what I he said to him? Said, about that he said, myself. He said, "Beat it." That's a girl's mind, right? I'm here all week. Oh, very good. Um, Martin was a no. Um, uh, I love take me with you, but in general, this LP is overrated. Um, and then it says at the end, can I ask, I ask you, can you whistle me one of the Prince guitar mel melodies? I prefer Beat Shelley. I could sing you 10 Buzzcocks guitar melodies and not one of Prince's. So that's why we get all these guys on. It's fantastic. A um, couple of things to mention. So we talked about the popularity of it, which as I say, isn't everything, but it absolutely was knocking out of the park at the time. 25 million sales, three Grammys. Um, and also he was he literally was writing songs for fun. So Ian's called out some of the other stuff he did and he's um he's he was prolific in the eighties, right up until probably Love Sexy, I would guess. Um and arguably there's not maybe not a runner record, certainly not in the eighties, that would match what he did, including Purple Rain, I guess, for some people. Uh, he also knocked out Manic Mon Manic Monday around this time, which became um, the Bangles, obviously, sort of breakthrough song. And he also wrote Nothing Compares to You in 85, which obviously Sinead went back and knocked out um, a bit later as well. So there's there's just all sorts of stuff. And it's part of this whole 7,000 song thing that's hidden away somewhere, isn't it? And what, what else is potentially in that, which I guess we may, may never know all of that. Okay, cool. I, I guess we can't really vote off, vote him off without talking about the kind of passing of him and stuff, because um, it was fairly sudden, wasn't it? Um, so that was the twenty first of April, two thousand sixteen. But he actually played his last gig and uh, just a few days before that. And the PST of that was that he hadn't been well off and on for some of the shows, so he'd cancelled one of the shows. Um, can't remember where that was um, in America. So to make it up, he played two sets that night. So he played a seven o'clock set and then he came back and played a 10 o'clock set in the same venue. And he um, made 45, I went and set listed and it was 45 songs that he played as a sort of piano um, set that night, which I guess maybe didn't didn't help his health, but um, but he was still, you know, at the time he was knocking it out, as, as Lisa said, you know, so which was um, a real shame. And my last, no, I've saved my last PS because that's that's a good one. It's interesting. Cool. So we've got um, what we got one, two, three, four. We've got four out of six yeses at the moment from the other guys. Um, so this one might be interesting. Lisa, we started with you. Well, you don't need to. I'm, I'm, I'm ticking you here, right? I'm ticking you up. So a big tick as well, right? Um, John. Another big tick. Another tick. And John's down the barrels again, mate, are you? Yeah. Waiting for a copy? Yep. Mm -hmm. um, no, the in Kempick Street in March. I'll get you down there. Ian will get us a copy of that for sure. Uh, Ian? No. No. Could we sell your copy down at the pop-up record shop? I don't sell my records, bro. Action. I don't sell them. It's a good answer. It's a good answer. Uh, I, I'm a yes. It's, it absolutely isn't in my, um, my favourite... Prince thing, so I might argue with myself here about should they put another one in 
but I still think it's a top a top hundred record for sure. So one, two, three, four, um, yeah, eight. Yeah. Well, you've got the first twenty Beatles albums and then the next forty <laughs> Dylan albums, so you can't squeeze them in, mate. I mean, there's sixty <laughs> more bacon. Lies the problem. <laughs> You're in lies the problem. Yeah, so I was going to two things to call out. One was um, I rewatched his Super Bowl performance, which I'd seen obviously seen a few times before, but I actually watched it because I knew we were coming on, and I've seen them better. But you know how they get that twelve minutes to to do the halftime thing, and it's just Prince, you know, and. The story, which I forgot, was that the weather was horrific for that Super Bowl. So when they got to the halftime um, performance, there was all sorts of assessments done about the safety of it, because obviously with the electrics and, and all that. And they actually went and spoke to him and says, look, because it's Super Bowl, we can pretty much delay the halftime as long as we want, because the advertisers are all just play ball. Do you want to wait? And he says, no. He says, I'm happy with the rain. He says, if you can make it rain more, just make it rain more. Purple purple and I'll get out and knock it out um, and he was great and what I forgot was he had 100, I think it was 120 piece marching band playing purple rain and stuff as they're marching around this this um, Super Bowl pitch um, and the last thing I had and it just takes me into I guess where he went and I'm, I suppose I'm calling this out because I love the record um, so he did this purple rain tour and he was finished when he finished the end of that he was pretty fed up with the whole album because he'd been sort of pretty much touring it um, but he finished the tour, 98-show tour, in April 85, and the first week in May, he released Around the World in a Day. Finished, released, out there. And uh, if, you, if, if you haven't heard it, you should listen to it, because it's, um, it's maybe everything that um, um, Purple Rain isn't, possibly. But, um, did, you not, did you not write, um, was it... Was it um, when doves cry, did you not write that in a day because they needed an extra need an extra song, yeah. When, when doves yeah. cry's got no no bass on it, right? Took the bass off because they wanted the space. Quite a on. lot. Something's just extracted yeah. and then something else is is focused on. And it's interesting that Martin, sorry to keep going on about Prince. On Martin said that it, you, know, you, you you can't remember a, a melody from any of the you know the, the guitars in it, but he grew up in a neighbourhood where local radio was predominantly um, sort of white rock bands, you know, and, and that's what he was listening to. So, you know, it's that kind of rock guitar that, that he prefers, and that's, you know, what you get throughout that album. The, the, the melodies come from elsewhere. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. A lot of his icons were white. Icons, not necessarily, although he liked Hendrix and stuff, it wasn't necessarily everything that he dialed into. Um yeah, and that my Dove's Cry thing, just to finish, it reminded me of that I, I, I'm sure Ian will go, but you, you guys are absolute Philistines. I had no idea there was no bass on it, although I'd heard that a million times, and obviously there's no bass on it, right? But I just never really heard that. But it reminds me of um, when I did another podcast with Bobby Hod, uh, Robert Hodgins, and we were talking about Ride a White Swan, and I was telling Bobby that there's no drums on Ride a White Swan uh, by T Rex, and he was. He was quite surprised about that because it's hand claps, isn't it? Hand claps and a tambourine, I think, play the rhythm on it. So, but it's got a rhythm to die for. So it's amazing how these artists just, you know, they just find a way, don't they? To, I suppose that's why they're genius, right? Okay, talking about. Sorry, yeah, absolutely. Talking about finding a way. Thanks for that, guys. So it's it's in for sure. Um, this Ian. Who's this? This is Bennett. Bennett. Hello, Bennett. Oh, hello. Who's that? <laughs> 
Don't let don't don't let him bark because Hush yeah, is no. sitting behind me. It'll be a little chaos if it if he I starts. know then Mino start. Getting a vote. Prince. Purple Rain Bennett. Purple Rain. Okay, number seven. Number seven on the list is uh, Rumours by Fleetwood Mac. So Ian and Bennett are going to lead us on this one. Just a quick summary from Rolling Stone. Um, With Rumours, Fleetwood Mac turned private turmoil into gleaming melodic public art. John McVie said, quote, parties going on all over the house. Amazing, terrifying, huge amounts of illicit materials. Yards and yards of this wretched stuff. Days and nights would just go on and on, unquote. This frenzied, decadent vibe lent a highly charged confessional aura to the songs and the Max catchy exposés produced with California Sunshine Polish touched a nerve. Rumours became the sixth best-selling album of all time. Okay, that was um, uh, Rumours by Fleetwood Mac, released on the 4th of February 1977. It's a 11th studio album. Um, oh, here we go. But it's the only one on the list. And we'll bring all the dogs in now for a, a review of Rumours. Okay, um, Ian, we're back to you, mate. All right, okay. So uh, that record collection behind me has a whole box dedicated to Fleetwood Mac. Uh, okay. It's a masterpiece. It's... Is it my favourite Fleetwood Mac album? No, I'd take Mirage and Tusk ahead of it. Uh is it the best album? It probably is, because the the fusion of what makes that album so great is at its freshest and rawest and most destructive and most creative at the same time. So everybody will know that, you know, prior to Buckingham and Nick's joining the band, they were a very different beast. They were a boogie-woogie blues band. With a, and, number, one, with a number one? Yeah, but, yeah. Lots of folk have number ones, Brian. Uh <laughs> But they weren't a band that were breaking any new ground, to my mind. They weren't. Yeah. They weren't setting the heather on fire. And in Buckingham, they found one of America's greatest ever writers of pop songs. And Stevie Nicks, probably one of America's most interesting and enigmatic female singer-songwriters. And, I mean, it's a perfect fusion. If you're listening to Fleetwood Mac and labelling it dad rock, or thinking it's middle of the road or tedious, then listen again. Uh, Lisa says Prince is her favourite guitarist. Well, Buckingham is mine. Dear Christ, can that man play guitar? Not necessarily my favourite, but he's up well, there. Yeah, but in the context of what we're talking about, <laughs> Prince is an incredible guitarist. He absolutely is. Uh, Buckingham, for me, is the one, and he's... He's what I love in a songwriter. People that I absolutely adore as songwriters. Robbie Robertson's another one, mm. another brilliant guitarist. And they are people who do what is required by the song. Mm-hmm. And everything that that Fleetwood Mac Rumours album is, is it's five people working for the album. You've got two failed marriages. You've got an affair happening. Everyone's an alcoholic or a drug addict. They're living in two different hotels. John McVeigh is going to Christine's hotel at night and rambling around the hall screaming for her because she's jilted him. Christine's hiding under Stevie's bed. Stevie's shooting up heroin to cope. Mick and Lindsay are taking every drug going. And then they're getting up in the morning and they're recording dreams. <laughs> or Gold Dust Women or Secondhand yeah. News. I, I mean, and if 
if everybody listening to this or watching this hasn't watched the classic album series of BBC movies, then there's two you should watch. You should watch the band one, which is just a phenomenal study of musicianship, but you should watch the Fleetwood Mac Rumours one. It's like watching the greatest soap opera horror story in history. Wrapping around the most sublime pop music. Uh, it's impeccable. There's not a flaw on the album and there's not a song that's lacking something that should have been added or has something that shouldn't be there. It's the perfect example of rock pop, call it what you will. It is, you know, if you were to create, if you were to put in a gallery the word masterpiece and put an example beside it, rumours would be as good an example as you can get for masterpiece. It's sensational. I, okay, thanks for leading off on that. I used to think the album was a bit front-loaded. <clears throat> then you listened. Maybe. Uh, so, okay, context to this comes out in February 77, so in the UK in particular, obviously the world's changing pretty quickly at that point. Um, less so in America, which obviously it was it was mega on. Um, but it was also number one in the UK, you know, but it, it took a while in the UK. It took almost a year to get to number one because I think, you know, there were other distractions here in America. It just smashed it. But there was a little bit of a, a, a split on, yeah, it might sound okay. You know, I think I read a review that said it was kind of an ABBA on drugs was was kind of, you know, some of the take on what Fleetwood Mac were doing at the time. So there was a recognition that they were bloody good songwriters, but they weren't didn't appear to be getting their sort of kudos for that at the time. And maybe there were some reasons for that. But it's it's A, it's aged very well, and B, the recognition has only grown, I think, over the, whatever's that, the 45 years since then, for sure. Well, there's things on the album that I think... Now, everybody else tonight might hate this, and I might be speaking to a crowd of folk who think I'm a maniac, but <laughs> there's a, there's a certainly from my perspective, the older you get, the more you learn to appreciate melody, the more you learn to appreciate song construct, the more you learn to appreciate craftsmanship. And... God, if you listen to that album, strip out all of Buckingham, strip out all of Nick's, strip out all of Christine, and just listen to that rhythm section play, then hmm. I'm telling you, Colin Greenwood and your man for Radiohead would struggle to play as well as them. McVeigh and Buckingham are tight, tight rhythm section who can take that band anywhere. And with that great blues grounding that they've got, of We Will Drive the Song. It allows all the other musicians to almost be jazz musicians playing in the space around what they're doing. Yeah, That might not have been noticed in 1976, 77 when they were doing it, but now if you go back and listen to it, it's just it's got so much space, that album. So much air. All the things that Radiohead have been doing for the last 10, 15 years, I think you find the origins in Rumours, and especially in Tusk, they were one of the first bands to really start using the studio. And I'm not talking about using studio engineering, but working out spaces and where to do things and where the sweet spots were. I think it's an engineering marvel as well as a songwriting marvel, as well as a production marvel and a performance marvel. Okay, so I okay, totally get all that. 
okay, and I hear what you're saying, the album's amazing. So why why do they keep splitting up? And I know one of them's sadly passed now, but even before that, there was... Oh, because Buckingham and Nicks hate each other. Yeah, but they hated each other at the time of rumours, right? So... Yeah, but there's only so... But but we were sitting last... This is a digression, but we were sitting last night and I was talking to my colleague, Izzy, about the David Crosby documentary and how she should watch the David Crosby documentary and how tragic it is that Graham Nash won't speak to him after they were best friends. Yeah. And Graham Nash got to a point where he just had enough. Well, I imagine Lindsay's had enough with Stevie and Stevie's had enough of Lindsay. And that's it. Okay. Okay. You know, at the time, it was all still very raw and, and that's where you get all this emotion yeah. from and they pull off spectacularly, don't they? Yeah, I really do. It's... It, okay. it gives me shivers thinking about it. It's such a great record. Indeed it is. John? Yeah. Um, it's, it's quite often played in here on a Saturday night. Um, it's one of Marion's favourite albums yeah. of all time. So, you know, we, we often listen to it. Uh, I'm not as much of a fan as, as Ian, but it's a great album. Um, it's quite remarkable, actually, obviously touching on the relationship side of things and the drugs and all that sort of stuff, how the hell they actually got to the point of making it when all of that's going on. Um, and then, you know, you, you read about some of the songs and, you know, there's a lot of duplicity going on. What's that song about? What's about a dog? No, it's not. It's about, you know, the sound engineer that I'm having an affair with or whatever. And yeah. Think, Jesus. You know, and they're playing these songs and they're going to tour, and it's, I just find that the, the stories of these things quite remarkable that they've managed to come together and make such a timeless album, really. Um, I would, though, disagree. I, I do think there is odd track in it. I, don't, I think Don't Stop hasn't aged particularly well. It just sounds like groggy nonsense to me, but. <laughs> that, that's just a that's just a small personal. Is that is view. that the is that um, the Bill Bill Clinton? That um, is a Bill Clinton. Yeah, right? went, yeah, yeah. And I read read that after I'd listened to it. Um, and David Cameron, I believe, used it as well. So <laughs> he did, yeah. you know, they've yeah. got shit taste. So you know, you can't blame that. you can't blame Fleetwood Mac for that, right? Can you? No, absolutely yeah. not. No, no, no. Um, it is also the 18th best-selling album of all time in Australia. Just <laughs> if you were interested in that, so did you, did but, you learn yeah, that when you, did you learn that when you were on holiday, John? No, I didn't actually. No. I just, oh, you were just researching when was, it when you were out there. That was quite researching there. it uh, yeah. the past week. So, but it's great. Um, you know, I suppose ultimate breakup album in many ways as well, given the song content. But um, Songbird, I think for me is the, the, the one song that stands out more than any other. Um, that's just a beautiful song you know, it's really stripped back mm -hmm. simple um, but really powerful so great album yeah okay totally they used to, I, I think I, I correct me if I'm wrong here I think they used to finish every gig with Songbird is that right yep yeah um, no John McVeigh asked them to stop it did they stop I think eventually McVeigh and Fleetwood it said it has to stop because they were right. standing backstage yeah crying Every gig, yeah, going right, you know, yeah, you can't do this anymore, yeah, okay, yeah, uh, okay, I get that as well, <laughs> absolutely. 
Okay, um, we'll bring Lisa in here. So I'm, I'm always playing devil's advocate on it. I, do you know think all this how amazing band it is and stuff like that and the great record, right? But do you know think it's one of the worst covers you've ever saw? Does it matter? It's... Oh, yeah, but of course it matters. <laughs> we, we talked about Jackson Thriller thing last the last one, didn't we? And how he got he got his clothes out the wardrobe in the studio and stuff like that. You know, surely he made the cover. effort. I think what, it's. I think what it's you very about it? The two look like a couple of knob ends, don't they? It's seventies. It's it's completely. I mean, um, if they're if they're out their face doing it, I'll go. I'll cut them some slack, right? But you know, if they've chosen to do that, then I don't. What what is this? Is there any symbolism in it, or are they just? I think there's symbolism in it. I think you've got Fleetwood, who's the band leader, uh, dancing with or wrapped up with Stevie Nicks, who with whom he's having an affair who's the lead singer of the band who joined with a husband she's no longer with and people are talking about it. I says it's, I think it's... There you have it. I think it does. I've read that as well. I just think they were out their face and they couldn't be arsed in. And they got they got some props out of cupboard somewhere like Jackson did and had a goal that was on Pirates of Penzance or whatever. Oh, that, it, whatever the show was on, right? Lisa, rumours. There, there, from Greenock there. Were you about to sing? <laughs> no. I can't do that as well as Bob Dylan. Um, so well, as about... I was saying there, it's just such an iconic album from the 70s. It's, uh, they say that, oh, Ian's gone. Um, <laughs> He's had enough. No wonder of us lot. <laughs> <laughs> so you love this one, right? I just, of course I do. And yeah. and I think, I, I think it's, you know, great art tends to come from, you know, the human existence, the, the tragedy, the love, the jealousy, the hatred, you know, all these things. Think think Shakespeare, you know, you know, it's it's absolute perfection, this album that is honed from the wreckage of their lives, you know, and, and it's playing out as we go along. And then when it took them about a year to make it, I mean, God knows what must have been going on that whole time. <laughs> and then when they perform it, all this, all this animosity between them and the jealousy and the having a go and and the how could how could they stand on stage in these wonderful harmonies and the tight musicianship and like sing songs like you know secondhand news you know where he's just basically saying well I've got loads of women now you know so you're you know yeah singing backing vocals no problem you know and then go your own way fuck you you know it, yeah. it it's it's quite incredible that, that they could all stand and produce a sound that is just a classic album. I mean, it it was kind of the, the it's a denouement of the, you know, this, this free love era where yeah. 60s, anything went, you know, everyone was sleeping with everyone else and drugs were purely recreational. Nobody considered them to be um, addictive. And of course, what was happening here was, you know, the, the the end of this era and the absolute fallout from it, and you know, everything going tits up. Um, and as John said, you know, who knows how they managed to have that amount of excess and craziness going and still come in and record such fantastic music. Um, totally agree. A year to do it. They so, did, but they had a lot of distractions during yeah. that year as well. So everybody so far will obviously will come around our guys in a minute, but everybody I think I think rested. the thing with this album is it's just it's such easy, joyous listening, despite 
the, the dark undertones um, because it basically deals with some something that mm. we all relate to. Mm. Yeah, it does indeed. I, Love I, relationships, you know. Yeah. I was about 12 or 13 when this came out. Are, and and I, I loved ABBA at the time because ABBA were a great pop band. I was only a young kid and uh, punk pop was about to happen and stuff, but it hadn't quite happened. They are a great pop band. I, I, they're amazing, right? But, you know, but my point was that I loved ABBA and I was totally aware of them and thought they were great. And then when rumours came along, I don't really know why I didn't love Fleetwood Mac, just for the songs. You know, I didn't really, at 12 years old, you don't really know the backstory, right? But uh, I don't know why I didn't quite get that at the time, but I think part of the reason was, as I mentioned earlier, particularly in the UK, when I had a look at the um, NME's albums of the year for 77, the top five were Heroes, New Boots and Panties, My Aim is True, Never Mind the Bollocks, and Mark Moon. So, you know, a lot of my world was was that at the time, and lots of people at my age were just, boom, this stuff was just knocking your ears out, you know, and I think to get to get ear space in, in that world at the time in the UK, I think, might have been reasonably difficult. And I think time has definitely given it um, a kind of perspective and love that maybe it didn't quite get at the time over here. It did get number one, but it took a year in the UK to get to number one. So it was like, you know, really singles and eventually got momentum and it kicked in there. So, uh, well, well, as I say, guys are, are all yeses. Ian's had a power cut in his house. So he's obviously not paying the last night from Glasgow bills. Um, and you need to sort that out. So he's going to try and come on the phone if he can. Um, everyone is a yes so far on the guests. Um, David said, yes, I fought against this realisation for about 30 years, but it's a brilliant record. The writing, the playing, the production, everything about it is effortlessly magnificent. Um, Caroline's a yes as well. Um, I was just qualified. She's not really my kind of thing, but um, I absolutely can't deny the timeless brilliance of some of the songs. So I think there's this bit now where they've just had this recognition. It's what, 11 tracks, 39 minutes. 81% of our Twitter guys were slam dunking it in there. So massive amount of love for it. Um, nothing else to add really from my end. So let's, um, we'll go around the room. I'm assuming Ian was a no. So we can probably vote him out there, you think? Um, yeah. Yeah. Seems like it. <laughs> okay, so I think I we're carrying... Sure, was he? he? wasn't sure. I think we're carrying this one. So Ian's in um, and everyone else is in so far. So Lisa and John, are you you both yep. nodding? Of course. Indeed. Me too. Me too. This is a clean house. Absolutely everyone in on that one. Um, and fair play to them for that. Um, I had a PS2, if I can find it. Oh, yeah. So um, you know that thing when you, you, you Google the YouTube and stuff like that? So I forgot this. So the cores... Did a cover version of um, Dreams. Um, you, you remember the chorus, right? The Irish. Yeah, yeah, right? I remember yeah. the song. Yeah, and yeah. uh, it, it's okay. I mean, it's okay, right? It's a soft <clears throat> cover version of of a, of a really good song, right? So it's nothing as good as the original, but it did. It connected me back to something that you posted, John, which was the um, the Nolan Sisters cover of Panic by the Smiths, and I, I just wish there was a way for us at the moment to get that Smith's album or an album connected to that on there, just so we can go back and talk about the Nolan's cover of it. That's just a thing, right? Right, manage some point. We've yeah. got to find a way to do it, mate. Maybe there's a mm. worse, worse covers podcast or something, I don't know, but we must get back to that, right? <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so the Fleetwood Mac are in there. That was lovely. Um, and we've got um, one to finish, which is Nirvana um, with Nevermind. Okay. I'm really disappointed Ian has gone because from the Twitter conversation, I was really looking forward to this bit. Yeah, he's given me a couple of comments, as you can imagine, but um, he may or may not get back on his phone or if his broadband comes back on. Okay, so Nirvana, um, never mind. So uh, Rolling Stone said, an overnight success story of the 1990s. Nirvana's second album and its totemic first single, um, Smells Like Teen Spirit, shot up from the Northwest Underground to kick Michael Jackson Dangerous off the top of the Billboard charts and blow hair metal off the map. Few albums have had such an overpowering impact on a generation. A nation of teens suddenly turned punk and such a catastrophic effect on its main creator. But to slashing riffs, corrosive singing and uh, deviously oblique writing put warrior purity back into rock and roll. Cobain was a pop lover at heart and a Beatlemaniac. Cobain also fought to maintain his underground honour with songs like the scabrous punk purge, Territorial Pissings. Ultimately, it was a losing battle, but it is part of this album's enduring power. So that's the last one tonight, um, Rolling Stone number six, uh, Nevermind by Nirvana, released 24th of September 1991. And John's going to take us away on the last one. Right, okay, so Looking forward this, to this. this is probably, you know, people talk about grunge, and this this is probably the, the album, the key album for probably the majority of people. Grunge, what was it? You know, it's, it's like the bridge from heavy metal, pop rock, fan dance to alternative punk rock, right? Fortified by Generation X. What the fuck's that? Tell you, you know, tell you, tell you what you like, what you should dress like. All these demo, demographic kind of fucking bullshit baby boomers, Generation X. What a pish, right? All these skater boys in it. And Smells like teen spirit. You say skater boys? Rated. Yeah, they can have. Okay. Punk, skater, boy, look, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. That's what they're into. Smells like teen spirit. MTV was established by then, but I, I just remember at the time, you couldn't put MTV on, and within 15 minutes, this song just seemed to be on the video. It just played to death and just did my head and I didn't get grunge at the time um, eventually did but you know they're, they're very much a, a poor man's bad brains or sonic youth or something like that um, and I do wonder if the unfortunate passing of Kurt Cobain has actually added to a mystique about this album that otherwise may not have existed I think it's a good album Mm -hmm. Some good, some good tracks in it. I mean, I think you mentioned territorial pistons. I mean that that could be an inflammable material with stiff little fingers. Mm -hmm. Is it original? No. Mm -hmm. Just it's the punk song. You know, songs like Lithium, Poly, Poly, pretty decent to be fair. Um, Lithium's okay. Say Teen Spirit can't stand it. Um, in much the way that, you know, Fairy Tale New York was played at Christmas yeah. for years. I, I just couldn't stand that record. I've came back to it the last few years, but sure. um, I'm not sure I will. We, it smells like Teen Spirit because I never liked it in the first place. Um, so, so do you think if Nirvana, <clears throat> if Nirvana had released pretty much the same record 
as a post-punk alternative grunge album and they were based from the UK. What do you think we'd be saying about them 30 years down? I don't don't think we'd be talking about it right now, quite frankly. I think quite often a lot of these things, it's all about, there is an element of luck, I guess, but the right place at the right time. And I think timing with this is everything. Um, it's not, it's not a bad. Al- it's not a bad album, right? You know, it's just not a bad album. No, no. Uh, but and also, I mean, you you're talking about. I can't remember what album it was, Brian. But you're talking about maybe the balance. Yeah, the balance is yeah. all over the place with this album, in so much that side A is where you've got the majority of the heavy hitting mm-hmm. songs, and you get to side B, <clears throat> and it falls flat. Um, so I don't think there's a, a good balance there either. Um, so you know, better grunge albums, a hundred percent. There are far better grunge albums out there. Um, is it top one hundreds? I think if if I put my personal prejudices aside with this, I would grudgingly say yes because of the impact it's had, the influence it's had, all of that sort of stuff. So so I get that. So for for those reasons I could see why it should be top one hundred. A top top ten album? Mm. Up the road. Not so it's, a bit, it's a bit like the Lauren Hill record maybe that you know maybe it, it needs mm. to get us capped off because it was doing something that was original, was certainly impactful. Um, and left some sort mm-hmm. of legacy, and there's no <clears> argument. <throat> Nirvana have left a legacy of sorts for sure. Um, but you yeah, know, is it and is it something that's up <clears> there <throat> with the greatest records ever made? Is the question. And and, and that that's the thing. So I, th- I think with the Lauren Hill, for example, are... I lost you all. Yeah, so did I. Yeah, I, I no idea what happened there. I, I was still in action, but you two were. I've no idea. I'll, I'll see what that was in the playback. Yep. As far as I know, we're still going, but fingers crossed. That was a crap. That was a crap. The, ro- the robots impersonation. I, I, I can. If we go back here and there's a there's a ninety minute gap in the oh, recording, but... I will literally jump off a bridge. Um, Change position. John's on top now. Well, uh, moving on. <laughs> um, so, John, what what I was getting from that just to finish was a really good album. Totally get the the kind of respect and the impact it had. It was probably lucky in inverted commas because it was the kind of right album at the right time. But you're not convinced that it's one of the best albums ever. Really good album to some people, not necessarily to me. Okay, cool. We'll come back to that then. Um, I'll bring in a couple of guys uh, just to, uh, to keep this conversation going before we finish. Uh, what do we have? Uh, Martin Metcalf was a yes. Uh, he says it was a game changer, which um, which is fine. Um, there's more to David could add more to his comments, but I'll just give you the comment he gave us at the end there. Um, Nirvana, definitely not. Three out of ten, the most overrated album of all time. Love David. Um, Caroline said um, it's a no from me. Undoubtedly has an impact, but essentially it's pedestrian punk pop. Sonic Youth, Jane's Addiction, Madonna and Dinosaur Jr. all made better albums. 
and she kind of knows a thing or two about that. Yeah, I'd agree that with that. Yeah, cool. Um, Lisa? Well, I don't, there's, I don't suppose there's really a lot I can add to that, other than um, I thought this was quite pertinent to our podcast. Um, I'd read that um, somebody had said, never mind, it's for people who would like to like Metallica, but can't stomach their lack of melody. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, you know, if we can't vote in such that a great... Me. If we can't, we can't vote in such a great album as the Metallica album, then really we need to, to give this serious consideration, right? Well, I don't know. I think, that, I think the thing about this album was... Um, and I remember, when I think back, I can't say that I loved it when it came out because I didn't. I just loved mm. certain um, songs from it. And like, John didn't like... It smells like teen spirit, but I think grunge was in it was initially a, a very underground thing, wasn't it? And I think this was the album that really brought it mainstream. So people like me who were probably too old, it wasn't aimed at me, was experiencing it. So there was a point where um, I was a bit older when I went back to uni. So I was going to parties as an older student, and I remember parties with that playing and. Um, it just it just did feel very different from all the other music that was around in the time in the charts, you know. So we, we kind of enjoyed it for what it was at a party or whatever. I did have the album, but a lot of the album I wasn't so keen on. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. I I think I still think Come As You Are is a great song. Um and I think what possibly makes it interesting generally as an album is the, the variation in the moods that you, you get from it. And it's it's like, you know, you've got this sort of punk thrashiness of territorial pissings to this sort of moodiness and okay. of Holly uh, and the that quiet, more laid back, something uh, in the way. I'm, I'm trying to sort of get a positive here, you know, the, the, the no, sort okay. of I get that. Songs I- and... Yeah. Um, well, the, well, the positives are it sold 30 million copies, right? There's positive number one. It was number one yeah. US billboard. So it wasn't, you know, it did hit mainstream big time. And, and marketing gets things right quite yeah. a lot. You know, I mean, it, 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 you know, as John was saying, it was just, it was like, I, I, I wasn't really an MTV watcher, but when it ever was on, there would be certain songs that were plugged. Every few songs, it would be the same song, be the same song. And I get that's why you're like, oh my God. Mm much um and i think that worked with a generation just slightly younger than me um so i think it's an okay i think it's a good album is it it's not the best Hmm. okay and i think i think i think i think the legacy um that kurt cobain has left has possibly um kept it in our minds a wee bit more um, and interestingly, you like a bit of trivia, John. Um, you know, his girlfriend, Courtney Love, from Hole. Mm-hmm. Hole actually covered um, Gold Dust Woman by Fleetwood Mac. Oh, really? There you go. There you go. I There's like a wee thread right there. Yeah. And, I, and I've got a PS to connections Fine, as well. There you go. Well done, you. And I totally forgot about this last connection. So I didn't know that Mick Fleetwood and George Harrison were brothers-in-law. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. But they were. They both married um, uh, Jenny Boyd and Patty Boyd. Oh, 
Um, so there you go. Sorry. So, so you. Robert Prince on stage with um, while my guitar gently weeps. Oh, well, well, but yeah, we could chuck that one back in as well. Absolutely, we, we could be here all night. Um, so anyway. So it had huge kudos at the time. It was massively successful. They only went for four four years as a as a recording band. You know their albums were ninety ninety to ninety four when obviously he passed away. Um, so yeah, you wonder whether there is a legacy saying okay they were short and sharp. They had a big impact, um, and then they weren't there anymore. And then if if, he, if there's something you can't get anymore, then people start to miss it and, and so on and so on. However, even at the time they were massively successful. So. You I've got the album. Yeah, I've got too. the album. I think it's an important part of my collection. Do I listen to it regularly? No, I don't. I've got to be honest. I bought the album at the time. I what was the other one we talked about, John, ages ago? Um, my bloody Valentine, Loveless. Yeah, yep, yep. Do you remember Sweet. that chat? We yep. said, um, yeah, you know, gets all, the, gets all the kudos and all that stuff, and I said, mm -hmm. have you have you owned a copy of it? I don't think so. Um, even if you did, if you listened to it, if I'm being honest, not really. You know, mm -hmm. so th there are some records that you probably do buy into at the time, but if it sits in the your shelf of CDs or albums, are you really pulling it out to have a refresh on it? And never mind's absolutely one of those for me. I, I honestly don't think I've played it since 1991. Um, it's not their best album. Okay, which is? In Utero. I, th I thought you were going to say MTV Unplugged there. That's live performance. That's a different category altogether, <laughs> as you know. Let's, let's still I, go down that rabbit hole tonight. I was, I was just testing you there, mate. Well done. Okay, um, <laughs> Ian said, uh, well, I'll, I'll just very quickly tell you what Ian said on message, right? This is in this on in this order. Um, shit, power cut. If I don't get back on, yes, and fuck no, lost my broadband. <laughs> um, so the yes was obviously Fleetwood Mac because he hadn't voted at that point. Um, so he's just ratifying that. And fuck no, I'm guessing, means that he's not a particular fan of Nirvana. And there was a bit of a Twitter chat about that um, with a number of people. However, there are guys and you know that, that are fans of it. Um, and I think you know there there are huge amounts of people out there that love it. I know Dixon. I really liked it. I know um, Martin Metcalf liked it as well. So it, it does. It's a wee, wee bit marmite almost. I think um, I actually don't like this genre. I just don't like it. It's just a thing I don't like. But I do really like Sonic Youth. So I do think when a band's great, I think they're great. You know, but I just think there's a whole categorization of this stuff. It's a bit American, a bit lazy, and college rocky thing. I, I just don't really get it from around. So um, cool. So the guys were uh, okay. So George was a no. So um, at the moment, there's six votes, isn't there? And the yeses were Dixon and Martin, um, and Caroline, David, Chris, and George were all no's. So um, I just put Ian's in there. So Ian, I think, said uh, fuck no, didn't he? So that that that's still a no, right? Mm. Um, so John, you led us off, mate. A fuck no for me as well. <laughs> this is a new category, right? Uh, Lisa. I'm not going to swear, but it's a no. And it's a, it genuinely is a no from me. It's a wee bit like thriller. I hadn't really thought about it until we got to listen to the album again. I've <clears> played <throat> this album. We listened to another one, I can't remember it was, where we 
I listened to it a lot to try and get my head into it and really struggled with it and I voted it no again and this is the same. I really, really listened to this in the last fortnight. Car, headphones, walking, dog, whatever. And and also, John, the point you made is there actually is two or three so really good songs on it, I think. But they're absolutely all front-loaded pretty much, I think. Yeah, yeah. But that, that said, there is, I think, is it the second last song, the last song, is it, what is it called again? Um, on a Plan or something like yeah, that? Yeah, is that right? yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's pretty decent. It's yeah. actually pretty melodic. Um, but, yeah, it's, I think, I think the reputation, it's, it's, all, it's all a bit fur coat, isn't it? Fur coat, no niggers, right? So, um, yeah. to finish off, believe since we've... So, sorry? Don't believe the hype. Don't believe the hype. The hype. Yes, yeah, indeed. Well done. Um, it was Album of the Year in the NME in 1991. Um, and we give them a hard time, and that's fine, <clears> but, you know... Number two was Bandwagon-esque, and number three was Screamadelica. So, well, I was going to say, where's Screamadelica? Well, it's number three. Because that, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's, that just pisses all over this. Yeah, and Bandwagon-esque as well, to be fair. Um yeah, indeed. A couple of things to finish off on that. Um, I suppose one which should have brought them back into our world is that, of course, they're from Aberdeen, aren't they? Um, that's right. In Washington, D.C., so... You know, we've got a bit of an affinity there, so I feel a bit guilty now. And the other one was just to finish was in 2006, BBC Six Music um, did a poll of the most overrated albums of all time. And number one was Nevermind by Nirvana. Number two was X and Y by Coldplay. And number three was Libertines by the Libertines, surprisingly. Okay, and Andrew Collins, who was a DJ who commissioned the poll on Six Music, said that our audience is quote unquote mad because he loved it. It was one of his favourite albums ever. But can't argue with public opinion, can you? So I'm afraid, a bit like um, Thriller, not only is it not made the upper echelons of the list, but it's now not on the 100. So we're doing our bit there for democracy. It was 53% on Twitter. But I, I, it was a bit more mind Twitter. We had more chat on this than I think pretty much any album that we've had so far. So probably gives you some of that. Mm, not sure about it type thing. So it's gone. So um, that takes us to Nirvana out. So all the other ones are good. And that gives us 63 out of 95, which is fine. Can I just say one other thing? I, I mentioned Dixon earlier, just to finish. So Dixon Telfer gave us some comments and um, he said at the end, so for the first time for me, it's five yeses. And then he quantified that by saying, that's because there's no fucking Beatles. Smiley face. <laughs> All the best, Dixon. So, um, yeah, so we, we are a broad church, aren't we? So when I'm quite Ian's not on at this point. Quite proud of that. Quite proud of that. Okay, so that's us. Um, that's us done that, um, and it's been really good again. Uh, I I have a message there to say there was also a power outage in our area today, which I think might be why we lost the recording. So I am crossing fingers and toes that when we finish, that there's something getting saved here that's not eight minutes long. So we'll find out. 
Um, sorry that Ian's lost us, but uh, likewise, he had the broadband outage and it's not come back on yet in Glasgow, so I don't know what's going on for Christmas. See, you don't, you don't, these things don't happen in deepest darkest, any, you know. But you don't have broadband, that's why. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's still the, the old um, string in the two, the two tins, right? Aye, aye, aye. Um, listen, okay. to, listen to the rumours. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> so we are not um, doing this again. <laughs> no, we're not. Absolutely. We are not doing this again. You're, you're absolutely right, Lisa. You can quote me on that. Uh, so we have one more to do before Christmas, and fingers crossed, God willing, and all those other technical challenges we have, we're going to do this one before Christmas. It'll be our Christmas edition, and it'll be our last podcast of... 2024 and it'll be the top five albums from the Rolling Stone list. So it will be a lovely way to finish the year if we can get around to doing it. Um, Have we had a a week where all five have been voted in? We have one week, John. Um, Probably because you weren't on, I'm guessing. Uh, Mm. But yeah, we did. I can't remember which episode, but we celebrated that it wasn't that long ago, three or four episodes ago maybe. Um, but yeah. one out one out of nineteen so far. So maybe the last one, the last five that we have are um, the Beatles, Abbey Roads, Stevie Wonder's sound, uh, songs, The Key of Life, Joni Mitchell, Blue, Beach Boys, Pet Sounds, and Marvin Gaye. What's going on? So you know, as the last five, so you should expect a bit of quality in there. There probably is, no and no Prince and no Rush. Uh, we, we're we're hoping to have a guest on for that one. It'd be nice to get another guest on for the last one, and uh, all things being equal, we will do that. Guys, have I missed anything? Don't think so. Okay, nope. I will. I will obviously message everyone if and when there's a, an addition to to post, um, and I'll I'll find that out in the next five or ten minutes. So thanks again for your time. Apologies for Ian ducking out there, but his contribution was Bob on while we were all together. So um, so I'll thank him and, and absentia for that. And until the next time, um, thanks again, guys, and stay safe. All the best. Good night. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Good night.